lives, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. And so there may be a point today where you say, you know what, my next step of faith is to be baptized. I've been wrestling with this. I've been thinking about it. What do I need to do? Um, Brian Green and Pastor Art will be over here to the side during uh, communion, which happens right after the sermon. Uh, They'd like to spend a few moments with you to see, one, uh, to hear your testimony, how you receive Jesus as your Savior, because that's the first piece. And then the second piece is making sure that we, um, we don't blend baptism and salvation together. Okay, so it's the next step of faith that we take. Jesus called us to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey or observe all that he's commanded. So this idea of baptism, the practice of baptism, is reminding us that we are dead to sin and death and alive in Christ. That in part fulfills Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. And this is a, a symbol uh, of that reality. And so we want to encourage you, even today, if you say, you know what, I, I am ready, but I didn't bring a towel. We got towels for you. You say, well, well, wait a minute, I, it's kind of cold outside. We have dryers for you, and we might even have a shirt or two if you need one. So uh, we, will, we will help resolve any problems that you have in going forward uh, with baptism. With that in mind, would you join me as we pray? Dear Jesus, we love you, and we need you. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be exalted And that you would be lifted up. We ask, O Lord, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. And as we jump into your word today, we ask, O Lord, that in a very real way you would give us your mind. And that that mind would have the ability to not just think thoughts about you, but to live a life dedicated to you, empowered by your spirit to fulfill that which you've called us to do in purpose and in deed. And so, Lord, we, we just enter into this time, holy and sanctified, separated for you, that you would be glorified and that you would be honored. It's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, we, in our podcasts, we've done this, uh, this segment called This World is Crazy. And we identify a variety of things that, like, there are just crazy things going on in the world. And so, for example, uh, about this time, a year ago, a leading educator in Israel came out and said, yes, there are aliens and our government is aware of it. And like this seemed like a credible source. And uh, all we could do is hear these words and go, wow, that sounds, that, that sounds crazy. I don't know what to think. And then a few months later, the government came out and said, actually, there are these objects that are flying around in space and we don't have that kind of technology. Like, well, what does that mean? All I know is this world is crazy. Uh, not just that, but it just even recently, speaking of the world being crazy, there was uh, the Bird of the Year Award. So there's apparently an award for a bird, and a bat got it. And it's like, what? Uh, this world's crazy. I don't even know what to think of these kind of things. Um, so that's kind of a silly take on a grander issue. You know, we've, get, we've gotten other crazy things thrown at us, COVID that we've been walking through, vaccinations that we've been walking through, Kyle Rittenhouse 
uh, that, uh, that, that we've just seen go through. And, and this is not a commentary on that. That's not my goal at all. What my goal is, is how do we take this information and process it as believers? How do we understand a crazy world as a believer, as a follower of Christ? That's our goal. And that's what I want to talk about as we walk through this together. So, with that in mind, that means that how we see the world matters. How we see the world matters. It matters in some big ways. Dr. Eugenia Constantino says this, that the way that we see the world is actually connected to scriptures. The scriptures help us to understand how to see the world. And she uses a Greek word that is seen four times in the New Testament, all in chapter 8 of Romans. And the Greek word is phronema. Phronema. It's translated as mind of. So they'll say mind of the flesh or mind of the spirit. That's how it's translated in Romans chapter 8. Mind of, but she says that's actually just short of what it meant. Like English doesn't really translate well. Because what it, what it actually is, is that which we think that is transformed from what we think to what we do, how we act. So our behavior based on what we think and know to be true. That's our phronema. And our phronema can be in the flesh. We can do things uh, walking in the flesh or we can do things walking in the spirit. She goes on to say later on uh, in, her, in that chapter that she speaks on phronema, she says, perhaps the best English phrase that can be used for phronema is not mind but worldview. Worldview. Summit Ministries uh, has done a lot with worldview. In fact, they break it into 10 areas. Let's see if we can get it. Uh, They say philosophy, politics, psychology, economics, ethics, uh, history, law, biology, sociology, and theology all make up our worldview. They would use that as categories. But through the years, I've found that uh, those categories aren't all equals. In fact is, I like to look at it as a pie. Not ten slices of pie, but rather nine slices of pie and a crust. And that crust flavors each slice of the pie. And on a Sunday where we're going to eat pie in just a few moments, uh, uh, you'll, you'll really get the feel of that. So let's look at worldview pies. Uh, so I, I do apologize. Number two, that should be politics, not physics, but politics is number two. Uh, this is how we understand things. My, uh, my premise is that our theology should be the crust. What we think about God is what flavors each slice of that pie. It flavors how we understand philosophy, politics, psychology, economics, ethics, all of those things. Theology. However, we can get them flip-flopped. Uh, we can get them out of order. I'll give you an example. How many of you understood the American Revolution, the reason for the American Revolution, as taxation without representation? Anybody ever heard that? The reason that we had this American Revolution was taxation without representation. It's an interesting point. It's a phrase 
that is taken from the Declaration of Independence. And actually, it's, it's a principle, not a phrase. That, that phrase doesn't exist in the Declaration. Uh, but that's number 17 of 27 uh, things cited to go into this revolution. So it's not even in the top 10. But what happened? Well, this is what happened. Some educators said, the way that we look at history is through the lens of economics. So their crust became economics. And as they looked at history, they said, well, wait a minute. The only reason that people do the things that they do is because of economic issues. Taxation without representation goes from 17 to number one then. Do you see the issue? This flavors everything. The crust of our worldview pie flavors everything. And so what I'm trying to say today, what I believe, is that the crust, theology, has to be that which flavors everything. That is our phronema, our phronema. It's not just what we think, but it's how we act because of what we think. So, if that's true, if it matters the way that we see the world, and the way that we see the world needs to really be connected to God, then the way that we see God matters. How we see God matters. Fact is, A.W. Tozer, he had a great phrase. He said that what we think about God, I'm sorry, what comes to mind after we think about God is the most important thing about us. So when we think about God, whatever is in our mind at that moment is the most important thing about us. Now, I would, I would say that that's true because of what we just said, that that's the crust of our worldview pie. What we think about God, if I think, first of all, that there is a God, and if I think that that God is in charge, and if I think that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, if I think that he is in control, he knows the beginning from the end, if I think that God, this God in heaven loves me and created me for a purpose, that's going to flavor everything that I look at. Or, it's not. If I don't believe that, it's not. And what I would say is that many Christians in many churches do not have a biblical phronema, a biblical worldview. And that worldview affects and infects our fellowship and our communities around us. Let's keep going, moving forward with this. I want to take a moment and just summarize uh, chapter 3, verse 1 through 20. Uh, because chapter 3, verses 1 through 20, really reflect what we've been talking about for the last two weeks, God's judgment and leaning into God's uh, judgment. It talks first about condemnation and then it goes from condemnation to character and then it goes from condemnation to character to completion and it's all going to be in this vein of judgment and God's judgment and uh, that we keep coming up short and the whole point that Paul keeps emphasizing and keeps emphasizing and keeps emphasizing is that we fall short, <laughs> that we need a God to complete us, a, a God to make us whole. Because in and of ourselves, we're insufficient. And we see that over and over again. Because we've talked about this uh, in great detail over the last two weeks, what I wanted to do, instead of looking at the whole chapter broken into those three major categories, what I want to do is narrow in on verses 5 through 8 
And I want to look at the errors that come out in verses 5 through 8 that seem to affect all of our phronema, our worldviews. So let's do that. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 5 in just a moment. As you're turning there, recognize that we're addressing bad theology. One of the cool things about Scripture is that uh, we are to have this relationship with God. Okay? So we were created for relationship with God. Some things about God are like us. Uh, Characteristics, for example, that are like us. And so it's easy for us to do something called anthropomorphizing God. And this is what that means. It's attributing human characteristics or behavior to a God or animal or an object. Anthropomorphism. But we do this theologically. Unintentionally, it just kind of creeps into the way that we think. This infinite God who is infinitely dimensional. (laughs) uh, We're three-dimensional. He's infinitely dimensional. Uh, We try to understand and explain him the way that we would any other person. And we can get ourselves in trouble when we do that. And that's the logic that Paul is going to start walking through in these next few verses that we're going to look at. And I would say that unintentionally, it affects our phronema, our worldview, uh, our worldview pie, and specifically our theological crust. So we want to take some time today to make sure that we're lining up with what God calls us to do and the way that God calls us to think. I hope you're ready. We're in Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 5. I'm going to read through verse 8, and then we're going to break it down together. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, uh, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then, how could God judge the world? But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. So uh, he's building this idea, and it's going to come to fruition in chapter 6. He's going to say it this way, what shall we do then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, the more we sin, the more glory God gets because his grace is greater than our sin. So just keep sinning. And he goes, no, that's, that's a bad idea. That is not what we're supposed to be doing. And he's starting to introduce us to that logic here. So let's take a look at some theological tendencies or errors that we move into when we anthropomorphize God. Okay? So, first of all, we, draw, uh, we form poor conclusions. In this case, God is unrighteous. Now, we know from Psalm 145, 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. Are people? No. Why? Because they're not God. So we have to be so careful when we start to think about God to connect him to human actions, attitudes, and even human logic and progression. Be so careful. So that's what we'll look at. 
Okay, so form poor conclusions. Let's see how that's formed. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to afflict wrath on us? Let's pause there. God, I've been trying to follow you, and the harder I try to serve you, the more difficult life is. That's not fair. What we're doing in this situation is, again, we're putting God on trial. God, you claim you're righteous, but this doesn't seem like righteousness. In fact, God, maybe you're unrighteous because I'm righteous. That's the implication in this. And we see it often when we begin to process through our own lives. It happens. But it's a poor conclusion. Is God unrighteous? Of course not. God knows things that we don't know. He knows the decisions that we're making that may affect things two, three, four generations later. God knows that. He can discern the difference. And he's righteous. He's righteous in his decisions. So, the question I have is, are you in a place where you're forming poor conclusions based on life circumstances? God, I'm doing everything I can, and I, I'm following you. I am, I am right in my decision. I am righteous in my attitudes and actions, and what is happening to me seems to be a judgment from you that is unrighteous, and God, you are not fair, if that is true of you then the biblical term that we use is called repentance. And I strongly want to encourage it now. Repentance is this. It's a change of mind. What I am doing is wrong, is not right, and I am going in the wrong direction. Repentance is changing that direction and moving towards God. It's not going into another hurt habit and hang up. Okay, so this is the wrong direction. Maybe if I change this direction and depend more on money... Maybe that would help. No, that's not repentance. Repentance is turning to God. Okay, so that's the first one. We draw, we form poor conclusions. Not just that, but we also form long-term poor opinions. In this case, limiting God. So uh, again, from, based on Psalm 147.5, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Does God seem to have any limits? No. Do people? Yes. We have to be careful that we don't anthropomorphize God. Uh, He is not human. (laughs) Uh, He does not fall trapped to the same things that we do. And when we do this, we, in essence, limit God. Let's look and see how that's done in verse 6. By no means. For then, how could God judge the world? How could God judge the world? If he's unrighteous, we're going to limit God. God can't judge the world. And I I heard an actor recently uh, who, who is an atheist, and he was challenged. And they said, what happens if when you die, there is a God, and you see him? What would you say? He said this, you got a lot of explaining to do. Good luck with that. Like, but that's this. That's limiting God. 
That's trying to understand God in human, uh, uh, as a human. Like he, uh, he's limited in, in his understanding of who God is and what God does. That's not our God. Uh, that's not how he works. And if our opinion has grown to this place where we believe that God is limited, God would never do that. God could never do that. Uh, careful. We're on dangerous dangerous ground. And that requires this biblical term called repentance, where our minds are changed. We recognize that the direction that we're going is wrong, and we want to go in the right direction towards God. Let's keep going, because this is going to flesh out not just uh, not just the conclusions and opinions that we have, but also the practices that we have. So we can also form poor practices. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, we see it this way. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. That means sin. Stop it. <laughs> Stop sinning. Like, don't continue this practice of sinning. First John addresses that in a big way. He says, if you continue in sin, that you never knew God. The idea in the Greek is to practice sin. Like, you're getting really good at sinning. That is not what is supposed to happen. And as Paul draws out the conclusion in chapter 6, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, heaven forbid, How can we do that? The call is to stop. Not because we have the power to do it. Not not as a behavior modifier, but rather as a spiritual, based on spiritual transformation, I recognize this is not what God has for me. That this is not life. This is not peace. This is not Jesus' call in my life. Therefore, I'm going to repent and go towards him. Some of us, In fact, I'll say it this way. All of us have default sins. My default sins are probably different than your default sins. Yours are different than the person sitting next to you. And very frankly, as we think of people around us, we go, wow, why does that person struggle with that so much? I don't struggle with that. Uh, No, because your struggle is something different. And, but all of those, we need to get victory in. And we get those victories through Christ. One of the things I love about Celebrate Recovery and Pastor Art's ministry there is they are addressing hurts, habits, and hang-ups, recognizing that we all have those. But biblically, what do we do with that? Well, what we do is we turn to Jesus. Uh, we repent of those sins. We get accountability because we're a part of a body uh, of believers. And we walk together in this, hey, I'm struggling with this particular sin. Uh, can you help me? Yes, I can help you. Let's talk this through. Let's go to the scriptures. Let's learn the word of God. Uh, Let's repeat the word of God. Let's practice the word of God and not practice these these poor behaviors. Let's look at how this lives out in uh, verse 7 and 8. But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? At some people, as some people slanderously charge us with saying. So, again, if God is glorified and if God's um, forgiveness 
if his mercy, if his grace is unlimited to all who would call on him, why would I change my behavior? That's just like, oh, it's more fun to just do what I want to do when I want to do it, right? No. No is the answer to that. There's a transformation that should be occurring, and that transformation is spiritual, and it's based on the work of God and my surrender to him. Not just that, but the scripture says that I've been given the seal of God. The seed of God has been placed in those who have trusted him as their savior. Why is that? One, as a down payment for eternity, but not just that, as a power to live a victorious life in Christ. That, that victory that Jesus got at the cross has been extended to each of us. And progressively, as we work through our faith in fear and trembling, we get those victories coming to Christ, walking in unity together, and, and living in his word. So what's your phronema? Because how we see the world matters. And not just how we see the world, but how we see God. Our theology is the crust that brings our uh, worldview pie together. And so, as believers, we should have the mind of Christ in this. And let this be, uh, as I go through this, remembering that number two is politics, not physics. But as I, as I go through this, please keep in mind that if we're off, it infects things. If we're off, uh, we need to calibrate. If we calibrate, we, we do that in repentance to the Lord. It's not in behavior modification. It's spiritual transformation. It occurs in part through repentance and relying on Christ. But let's look at this. So in philosophy, Jesus is the Logos. In politics, he's the King of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. In psychology, he's the Savior. In economics, he's the owner of all things. In ethics, he's the true light. In law, he's the lawgiver. In history, he's the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and end. He's the first, and he's the last. In biology, he's the life. In sociology, he's the Son, all because he's the fullness of the Godhead incarnate. It affects and infects our entire phronema, our worldview. Is that true for us here today? If not, then repentance has to occur. A transformation has to occur because how we see God matters. It matters in all areas of our life, in all slices of that pie, in all uh, places that we interact with one another. How we understand God and live him out matters. In just a few moments, we'll enter into a time of communion. At that time, if you're saying, you know what? I have never been baptized. And partly because my phronema has been off. I've been living in the flesh, not in the spirit, and I need to walk in the spirit. And today, and it's going to be a sacrifice because it's a little chilly outside, but I'm willing to do this. Today, I'm going to take a step of faith, and I'm going to be baptized. You can talk to Pastor Art or Brian Green over here to the side. They would love to have that conversation with you. As we enter into this time, uh, they'll talk to you, and I'll meet you backstage, and we'll, we'll go get, we're going to go get down here and get baptized. This is going to be fun. Also, we're entering into a time of communion. 
Uh, this is where believers come together and they remember the work of the Son. They remember how Jesus split time in half, before Christ and after Christ. We come together remembering the body that was broken and the blood that was shed, that we could have life. And that it's not just a compartment that we visit on Sundays, but it's a part of our life that laces everything together. That Jesus and how we have this relationship with him brings all of it together and flavors every area of our life. In just a few moments, I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things. One is, am I a follower of Jesus? If you are, you are welcome to participate in communion. If you're not, then see somebody. See one of the staff members here today who would love to talk to you about having a relationship with Jesus and what that means. If you are a believer, then the next question that we have is this. Do I have any unconfessed sin that needs to be addressed? And then address it. It's called repentance. Going in this direction, having a change of mind that that's wrong and walking to God. During this time, you are free to go to the station that's nearest you. We ask that you go to the carpeted areas, go around, and then go back to your seat on the outer edge, as we've talked about in the past. Today, which is a little bit different, once you're back at your seat, you can feel free to participate in both the bread and the cup as you have the peace of God to do. You don't have to wait for us from up front to uh, give you clues and and uh, do it together. You can participate right at your seat with without any announcements from up front. And then, God willing, we'll go into a time of baptisms. Uh, if not, we're going to keep worshiping. And that'll be great too. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you and praise you. We ask, Almighty God, that you would be glorified and honored. And Lord, I, I would just pray right now that you would forgive us for not having a biblical phronema, a worldview that centers you on all things, that helps us to see you in each area, each slice of this worldview pie. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for allowing news outlets to dictate our emotional and our spiritual state. Forgive us, Lord, for walking at times in fear instead of faith. Forgive us for those times, Almighty God, where the, the, the world just seemed so much bigger than you. What a poor perspective we've had at times. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for those times when we have acted in that fear and responded in fear to others, wounding and hurting each other. Forgive us, O oh Lord. Almighty God, as we come before you now, we ask that you would be glorified and that you would be honored. In Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray.